Let's have a word of prayer. We'll get right into Romans chapter 8 tonight. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Father, thank you so much that we are a child of the King, that with Jesus, my Savior, that we have this this relationship with you now, and Father, this fellowship, and I pray that, Father, we would honestly take advantage of that. We would use that, and Father, we would spend time with you and grow with you and and uh, just spend that relationship time with you, and Father, that you would just continue to help us to draw closer to you each and every day. Thank you so much for Jesus dying on the cross so that we can have access to that. And Father, I pray that as we continue through this life, Father, that you would help us to decrease while you increase. And Father, I just pray your will be accomplished tonight. Thank you so much for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, who remembers the theme for Romans chapter 8? Go ahead, Mrs. Kember. Victorious Christian life, living a supernatural Christian life, um, conquering, all of those things are all conglomerated into the theme of Romans chapter 8. Now, when I talk about being a victorious Christian... What is the first mental image that you get? You don't necessarily need to answer this, but just think about it, okay? When you, what do you think about? What do you picture? What are you seeing? Now, I try to understand my own preconceived notions as to what I think when I talk about the victorious Christian life. And so I'm going to explain to you my picture, and you can see if this... Uh, it correlates to you at all. But when I think about a supernatural or a conquering life, I often see a picture of myself rising above the heaps and heaps of sin, my wicked thoughts, my evil deeds, and standing in victory over them. Okay? A sword drawn, raised maybe a little bit, and just, I am victorious. I have conquered. I am overcome. I imagine that there is darkness all around me. I imagine that the pile, the rubble that I'm standing on is all darkness. I imagine that the background is all darkness and just exuding out of me is light, okay? Now, I tried to find a photoshopped picture of this. I cannot find it, okay? It does not exist, all right? But it's kind of really a nice picture. There is a glow about me that dispels the darkness and I am in triumph over it. It's honestly, it's something that I strive for. I don't know if that resonates with you at all, but I strive to have victory over my sin. And when I think about victory over my sin, that's what I imagine it to be. I believe this is kind of what it might look like. A little something like that. Some of you may even know who this is, all right? Um, this is kind of what I imagine myself to look like. Powerful man, strong, cool-looking sword. The long hair, not really, but he's just a rough, tough-looking dude. That's what I imagine. Okay, now you're going to laugh at the next picture. I want you to see the next picture. Okay, quite an opposite ordeal, isn't it? Not quite the rough, tough looking kind of guy. You see, we all laugh at this. Why? Because it seems silly, even ridiculous to have this goofy, even cute, but goofy looking boy be a conquering hero. When I think about a conquering hero, I think about this. I do not ever think about this. Never. In fact, if if you say the name Conquering Hero, it is going to be this, something familiar with this, never, ever, 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 ever this. In the first picture, we see a man who has sacrificed. 
We see a man who has given up much to be a hero. In the second picture, we see just a little boy who honestly, truthfully, could never be a hero. Not a conquering hero the way that we think. Could he do something nice for a cat or a kitten that's fallen away? Yes. Could he help a little old lady across the street? Yes. But not a conquering hero. Let me ask you this question. Which one, which one of these pictures, I'll go back to the first one, which one of these pictures is, in fact, a more accurate depiction of the victorious Christian life? Just think about that. You don't necessarily need to shout it out, but just think about it. Which one is a more accurate picture of a victorious Christian life? And you cannot say neither, okay? It has to be one or the other. There are only two answers, A or B. Well, I believe this. This picture in front of you right now is the most accurate depiction of a victorious Christian life. And if I'm confusing you, great, because I want, I want to get there, okay? Life, this little boy is cute, he's cuddly, but that's not why it's the most accurate description. You see, the, the reality of the situation is the spiritual Christian war that is going on, it's often been said that it makes World War II look like a Sunday school picnic. It, it is a war that is raging. We don't get to see it very often, but it is absolutely raging. So it's not because this little boy is cute and cuddly. It's that because this little boy has no power of his own. He has no power of his own. He is completely dependent upon someone else for his power. You see, we never look at this little boy and go, yeah, he's the man. No, we look at his dad. Or we look at someone over, over him and say, that's the real hero. I want you to see in our passage, Romans chapter 8, look at verse 14 with me. The Bible says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, notice, they are the sons of of God, okay? So very simply, I want you just to see this word, this word led, okay? So as many as are led by the Spirit of God, if you're walking with the Spirit of God, if He's leading you, if He's guiding you into all truth, right? I, I went through a lot of different things uh, three or four weeks ago about the Spirit, and I said, this is going to lay a foundation for where we're going. So hopefully you'll remember that. Go back and listen to it if you need. But for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, notice this, they are what? They are the sons of God. Okay, so if you are led of God, you are the son of God. It's very simple. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Let me put it to you this way. If you are led by the Spirit, you are part of His family. You are part of His family. Let's show you a few verses here. John chapter 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him, what? To them gave he what? The power to become, here it is, the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, just to keep you awake, let's go over to 1 John. Keep your finger there in Romans chapter 8. We'll come back. Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Look with me in verse 1. So we have those that receive Christ, receive Jesus, receive the Word, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Verse, uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, 
what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Why? That we should be called, what? The sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we, what? The sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Because of the love that was bestowed upon us, because of the receiving of that love, we are now made the sons of God. So when we accepted Christ as our personal Savior, we entered into the family of God. We became His sons. And here, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, that means that if we are the sons of God, then we are led by the Spirit of God. This is important. Again, if you'll go back into Romans chapter 8, I want to show you a verse once more. Verse uh, verse 8, we've read this almost every week, but the Bible says this, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And look at verse 9, he says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Okay, so if you're a son of God, you are led by the Spirit of God. You do not have to walk in the flesh. You can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of your flesh. This is the opportunity that we have. So he is leading us. He is guiding us. He is showing us as a son. But how should we as Christians, we as sons, how should we view the sonship? How should we view this Sonship, look at verse 15. The Bible says this, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Okay, so I want you just to stop there. I want you to process this with me. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you are the Son of God. For, because ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Okay, so I want you to see this, this terminology here. Bondage. Is that sounding pretty happy to you guys? Not really to me, no thanks. Okay, in fact, I like freedom much better than I like bondage. Okay, but notice it's not just bondage, okay? We, we see a bondage again to what? To fear. Bondage, but notice I skipped this word. It just says again. Meaning that somewhere, sometime, there used to be bondage in fear. Bondage in fear. Well, it just so happens that, you know what was, that was uh, associated with fear? The law. The law was associated with fear. In fact, I, I tell you right now that if you sinned, and you lied, and you cheated, and you stole, guess what? you stole something you probably have your hand cut off it's pretty scary if you committed adultery guess what you were probably going to be stoned it's a it's a system based on fear that was what it was for by the way listen you you this was a good thing this was a good thing now we in 21st century christianity we don't like to talk about this we don't like to think about 
uh, being fearful of someone or something. We have our rights. We have our freedom. We ought not to bow to anything or anyone out of fear. But listen, this was a good thing. Let me show you some verses here. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord, what is it? It is the beginning of what? Of knowledge. It's a good thing. It starts you off on the path, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. Okay, so understand me. The fear of the Lord is a wonderful thing. It is a spectacular thing. It gets us started down the road. I've used this illustration multiple, multiple times. My children ought to fear me early on in their lives. They ought to. The Bible tells us that they ought to fear us. In fact, the Bible gives us instructions on how that is to be accomplished. Most parents in our world today don't want their children to fear them. They want them to be their buddy. Okay, but in the beginning, how do you teach your children that the stove is hot? They should fear you. They should be scared that if they do something wrong that you are going to punish them. Not a trembling, scared, oh my goodness, every time dad walks by, I'm going to just fall down in and cry in a fit. No, but a healthy, fearful respect. Now, I want you to go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. The Bible says this, For God hath not given us the spirit of Fear. Well, what has He given us? Look at it. But of power. Hello. But of power and of what? And of love and of a sound mind. This is what God has given us. So listen, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. It's the beginning. But somewhere in the transition line, there is a casting out of that fear. In fact, go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. Notice this. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Look at verse 18. The Bible says this. There is no fear in what? Interesting. No fear in love. But what? Perfect love. What does it do? It casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth, notice, is not made perfect in love. Notice verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. So to illustrate, right? My children at some point had to fear me. Okay? We're transitioning out of that already. And you know what? I stand here today as a 34-year-old man, and guess what I don't do? I don't fear my dad anymore. You see, somewhere in the transition, I begin to love him. And the love that I have for him far outweighs the fear that I ever had for him. 
And so perfect love casteth out fear. Listen, that's the relationship. And listen, God with mankind, He established something based on fear. And then all of a sudden, there was a transitional piece. His name is Jesus Christ. He came, and guess what He did? He casted out fear. And what did He bring? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Please hear me. So we are not children of God that have to live in enormous fear. We don't have to. Listen, if you, you all sin today, and I'll be the first to admit that I sin today. Did any of you fear that you were going to get your hand cut off today or that you were going to be stoned today? No. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I believe that we will be punished at some point for the sins that we commit on this earth. I believe that. You want to run rampant in sin? God's going to do something to you. He's going to punish you. But I want you to understand this. This is something that we have the opportunity. God can punish us, but we do not live in the dispensation of the law. Guess what we live in? We live in the dispensation of grace. They're far different. Now, I will eventually someday do a study on the benefits of living under the law rather than living under grace. There will be some interesting ideas here. But listen to this. If we have the Spirit of God, we are the sons of God. What kind of sons are we? We are the sons that have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. It's different this time. It's not the same as it was before. It's different this time. So what is it? Look what it says. He says, but ye have received the spirit of what? Not of not fear, but of adoption. The spirit of adoption. Oh, this is good. We have received the spirit of adoption. Let's do a little bit of a study. Go to Galatians chapter 3 with me. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 and verse 4. <laughs> I do not think that's right. It's the first time I've had this happen in a while. All right. Let's skip that then. Four and three. I was just looking there. Thank you very much. The Bible says in, in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. For what purpose? To redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive what? The adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Okay, so do you see the transition? Verse 3 is, we were in bondage, but when the fullness of time was come, Jesus Christ comes, guess what? We are no longer in that bondage. What are we? We are adopted. 
we're adopted, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's see if I can get this one right. If not, we got Tina over there. Ephesians chapter 1. Thank you for that, Tina. I appreciate it. The Bible says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in what? In love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Okay, so this is a whole lot of information. But I want you to see that God had a plan that He was going to bring in the law that was based in bondage, that was based in fear. And before the world began, He had a plan to adopt. He had a plan to bring us into adoption. So understand, we did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear we have received the spirit of adoption. Now, hopefully most of you understand what adoption is, but this is from a faith life Bible lexicon. This is just a good definition of adoption. A legal proceeding that creates a parent-child relation between persons not related by blood. With the adopted child being entitled to all privileges belonging to a natural child, including the right to inherit. So they're not related at all by blood, but yet you, have, you are entitled to all privileges belonging to the natural child. So understand this, a, the spirit of adoption is someone coming to find you. And providing you all of the benefits and the privileges belonging to their natural children. Their blood children. The same as them. They're bringing you up to sit where they sit. To sit at their table and be with them. And to uh, accumulate, even inherit any parts. I want to show you this. Romans chapter 5 in verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that what while we were yet sinners Christ died for us you see God sent his love to us for God so loved the world that he gave his only he came to us God Emmanuel Emmanuel's God with us he came down to this earth he came to us and what did he do he purchased us we've been adopted no longer do we have to struggle with our sins. Listen, we no longer have to live there anymore. We've been adopted. So no longer do we have this spirit of fear, but we have a spirit of adoption. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were sinners. We were in the slums, yet Christ came and offered us a free gift, the free gift of salvation. This is the spirit of adoption. This is the spirit of adoption. Let me, listen, we did nothing to be adopted. We did nothing. We, the only thing we did was we were orphans. That's it. We didn't have anybody to turn to. Our father, the devil, who is the father of lies, when we were in his family, what did he do? He chewed us up and spit us out. He just continued to try to destroy us, yet the Father, Almighty God, came down and said, hey, I want to adopt you. 
We didn't have to pay anything. We didn't have to do anything. He did it all. And listen, because he did it all, look at this. Whereby we cry what? Abba, Father. Because we receive this spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba, Father. There's been much controversy around what the term Abba means. And again, I looked as much as I could look, I think, into it. Nobody really knows. Some say it's of Chaldaic origin. Some say it's of Arabic origin. We really have no idea other than we know this. It is closely related to the term Father. The best I could come up with with all the study that I did was, and it was the most consistent thing I could find, was it was a term of intimacy. Let me say that one more time. It was a term of intimacy. Some have said it's a little child calling dad, daddy. I'm not sure I 100% agree with that. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I'm just not sure that that's the whole intent. This is the intent we know. It just shows intimacy. Intimacy. Can I put it to you this way? It's not necessarily a term of relationship. It's a term of fellowship. Can I say that again? It's not necessarily a term of relationship. It's a term of fellowship. You see, this term here, father, is a term of relationship. Oh, he's my father. Uh, He had an active part in my conception. That's who he is. I I found my dad 25 years after he walked out on us, right? That's father relationship. That's how he connects to me. But Abba denotes intimacy. He's not just my father. I'm close to him. I walk with him. I talk with him. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And I tell him everything. And I am in constant abiding communion with him. Where he goes, I go. Where he stays, I stay. I am with my Father. It denotes intimacy. It's not just a relationship. And Jesus calls him Abba in the book of Mark. This is the intimacy that Jesus had with his Father. So because we're no longer sons that have to be in fear, no longer are we sons that have that, we have the spirit of adoption, what does it do? It changes our relationship from Father to Abba. There was a time... Again, where my dad was my dad. Oh yeah, he loved me, but my dad had to do some things to me that I didn't really like. But I'm telling you right now, in my relationship right now, I call my dad. I talk to him. I tell him just about everything. When he comes up, we hug, we embrace. It's awesome to see him. Oh my goodness, we have so much to talk about. Can you, can you see the difference? This is, this is the relationship. It's a relationship of intimate walking. But look at this, verse 16. The Bible says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
The Holy Spirit of God is doing what? It's bearing witness. It's letting us know, hey, we're still good. It's in constant communion. For what purpose? That we are the children of God. Hey, I'm with you. The Spirit is with us. He guides us into all truth. All the things that we talked about two or three weeks ago. He is there with us. Constant communion. Constantly bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He's confirming that. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that He is the, the earnest of our inheritance. He's that down payment. We can look to Him and every time He says, yep, He's coming back. Yep, He's paid for. He's confirming that. He continues to bear witness of that in our spirit. I want you to uh, see Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says this, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son, where? Into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So because you're sons, the Spirit has been given to you, and you cry, Abba, Father. You're seeing the picture, okay? Everybody following along? Am I boring you to death yet? We have to, we're getting somewhere. We were sinners we became the sons of God. When we got the sons of God, became the sons of God, we were given the Spirit of God to which we can constantly hear and say, Abba, Father. Romans, excuse me, John chapter 14. And I will pray the Father. And He shall give you what? Another comforter that He what? May abide with you forever. Knowing that I have somebody constantly bearing witness that I am a child of God, guess what that is? It's comforting. I never, never, never once doubted that I was my dad's son. Never once did he say, you are no longer a yeoman's. I wrecked his truck one time and that's probably the closest I got to it. But you know what? Never once did I feel like I was being kicked out of the house. Listen, this is the relationship. This is what we get. Now, I understand some, some people don't have that earthly relationship. But let me encourage you, you can have that spiritual relationship with Almighty God, a, a comforter, Abba, Father, an intimate relationship. And notice this, and if we are children, what are we then? Oh, baby. We are heirs, heirs of God, and look at this, joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. We'll get into the second part of this verse next week with the suffering. We'll get there in a minute. But I want you to notice that we are heirs. If we are led by the Spirit, we are the sons of God, and the sons of God get to call God Abba, Father. And if we are children, then what? We are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. I want you to go to Titus chapter 3 with me. Titus chapter 3, verse 7. The Bible says this, that being justified by His grace, we should be what? Made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Part of this whole process is gaining entrance 
becoming an heir to eternal life. Oh, obviously, I want you to understand that we are joint heirs with Christ. That means everything Christ received, so shall we. We're joint heirs. We get the same thing. We are afforded the same benefits that Jesus has. But will you notice with me one last time, I want you to notice where the inheritance comes from. And if children, then heirs. Heirs, right here. Heirs of God. As I started this, I tried to get you to see the difference between what we perceive as a hero and what the Christian life is actually all about. It's actually becoming an heir of God. Most of us think, oh yeah, I'm a joint heir with Christ. And you know what we want to do is we want to put ourselves on the same playing field as Jesus Christ. We want to put ourselves, let me say that one more time, on the same playing field. Listen, we did nothing. We are heirs of God. You know what God did? He reached down and brought us up. So all we are is just that goofy little boy, string beans. We have an emergency alert going off. Satan knows when we're coming to the point, doesn't he? It's all good. At least now we know, all know what it is. Now you don't have to look at your phones. <laughs> is it going to go into French next? <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> but one more time. No, I'm just kidding. So we've been talking about errors, Okay. We became heirs of God. God is the one who reached down and, and brought us up and said, listen, I want to set you in heavenly places. I want to give you the same benefits as my only begotten son. I want to give you these things. Listen, but we are not doing this in our own strength. All we are, and this is the way we need to picture ourselves often, is a little child in desperate need of some serious help you see many of us will try to conquer sin on our own we'll go home tonight and something will confront us and we'll say okay i'm gonna do this i'm gonna fight this and i'm gonna overcome this listen wrong attitude there are some practical things that we can do to keep ourselves away from sin but listen if we are going to conquer sin if we are going to be over sin if we're going to live the supernatural christian life consistently it has to be done through the power of God. We're going again. It can only be done through the power of God himself. It will never be done in our power. It will never be done in our power. We will never overcome sin in our own strength. We will never be strong enough. We will never be able to overcome. Victory can only be done through the power 
of God. So when you're thinking about living the victorious Christian life, think of yourself only as a dependent little child who can provide nothing for himself but only needs God. He has no strength. He has nothing he can do. He needs everything from an omnipotent, all-powerful God. Let me give you one last verse to close. Here it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 5 and 6. The Bible says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Who also hath made us able, what? Ministers of the New Testament. Notice again, not of the letter, but what? But of the Spirit. Why? For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. See, the Spirit, when we live in Him, when we are led by Him, when we walk with Him, we become the son, We are the sons of God, whereby we can cry, Abba, Father, we can have an intimate relationship with Him. And when we have an intimate relationship with Him, I believe this with all my heart, that we begin to see who we really are, just little children. And we re- really begin to see how awesome He is an almighty, all-powerful God. And when we walk in that, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We can't do it. I'm going to close this because we're going to keep going through this. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, for all you do for us. Father, I pray that even amidst the distractions, Father, that you would have helped drive this point home. That is nothing that we can do to be successful in our Christian life. In our life lived for you, it has to be done through your power. Help us to come to you as little children. Father, in order to be saved, we had to come to you as little children. Help us to keep that posture of I am nothing and you are everything. My sufficiency is not of myself, it is only of you. And Father, as we try to overcome this sin, would we stop trying and cast all our care upon you? For We know that you care for us and Father, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It is not of us. And so, Father, help us to realize that today. Help us to go into tonight and tomorrow with just a different perspective of our own lives. Squash our pride. Help us to be all that we need to be. We love you and thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.